0: That move. I don't care who it is. Just go. Give me everything you got. Play fast. Play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It. It's party time. It's party time. Let's right, go. Touchdown
1: Welcome into the Week 16 edition of the Eagle Eye in the Sky Football Podcast. I'm your host Fran Duffy, and yes, it is Week 16 of the NFL season here in 2014. Uh, two weeks left in the regular season. Crunch time here for the Eagles. Obviously, a tough loss on Sunday night against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, currently in the in the back seat in the NFC East. Outside looking in with the NFC playoff picture, but a big game down in Washington on Saturday afternoon. Let me bring in my uh, my cohort here, NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell, Greg week 16 it's a big game for the eagles this week
2: fran i i can't believe that the eagles are outside looking in i mean after they beat the uh the cowboys on thanksgiving night i just thought wow this team's on a nice roll we're going to be heading into the playoffs and uh now i guess they need some help
1: yeah they need some help it's uh the scenario is is well. There's there's lots of different scenarios, right.
2: but well, number one, they need Andrew Luck to have a big game Sunday afternoon. A big game from Andrew Luck <laughs> would be nice.
1: Uh, obviously, most importantly, the mm. Eagles do, by most accounts, need to win out almost certainly. Right. The only way that they can get in without winning out would be if they won one game and Dallas were to lose out. So um, you obviously don't want to uh, don't want to have to root for that. You want you want the Eagles to win out and then see what happens there. Uh, but look, you you got to take care of business. It starts with Washington this, uh, this uh, Saturday at 4.30. But let's look back real quickly at this Dallas game. Uh, offensively, you watched, th- you watched the tape on Monday. What were your th- initial thoughts? Uh,
2: a very up-and-down performance, I thought. And, and as we've talked before, I believe that this Eagles team is really fueled by their offense. And even putting aside the opening play that led to that first touchdown, the Eagle offense, it took too long for any sense of rhythm to develop. It was, what, middle of the second quarter before they really started developing that sort of relentless rhythm that defines the Eagle offense at its best. And I think when their offense really struggles, that this team seems to struggle. And it was it was not a good performance. There was no consistency to the run game. Mark Sanchez uh, missed some throws that he has to make. In the NFL, you can't miss open receivers. He missed a few too many.
1: Yeah, in a lot of ways, the script was flipped from Thanksgiving. Yep. Where uh, you know, the Eagles were able to jump on the Cowboys down in Dallas in week 13. And look, this 21-0 hole just proved to be too much to overcome. The Eagles were able to come back, take the lead in the fourth quarter. But, uh, you know, when, it, when you have to come back from 21 points down, it takes a lot out of you. They weren't able to hold on to the lead. Uh, really, the, the run game had some success early on. But like you said, there were, there were some issues in the past game. I thought that one of the issues that – I don't know if it's getting talked about as much. People talk about the issues on third down – They had some issues on first down as well. A lot of plays, that went for three yards or less. Right. uh, And, you know, really that keeps you off schedule. And it hurts this offense when it comes down to it.
2: No question. This is an offense that is ultimately built on gaining five, six, seven yards on every play. And you're not seeing that. And and one of the things which I think we talked about after the game on the postgame is that the Eagle offense seems to be a little condensed right now. And there's not really a vertical passing game. There's not even really a deeper intermediate passing game. Everything is played within sort of a 20-yard area. And it's really difficult no matter how well you're executing. It can be very difficult at times to really play consistently when you're sort of forcing yourself to play in such a confined space. You're easier to defend.
1: Yeah, I thought on that, you spoke to the post-game show, I thought Ike Reese brought up a really good point when we were on the air that it's almost like we're playing in the red zone throughout the entire game because yep. you're you know and the obviously fans know the issues they've had in the red zone so you can k- kind of see what the issues are that you're having right now um is it not fixable no it, it's obviously fixable. it's definitely fixable. It's definitely fixable. yeah so it's just a matter of you know going out and executing at a, at a higher level against the Washington Redskins who, you know, defensively, they've had their share of breakdowns. We'll, we'll get to the Redskins, though. Before we jump to Washington, uh, the Eagles defense, I know you didn't get a chance to fully get through that tape. but from No, that, that one I did. Oh, you did get I through did. the Eagles tape. Yeah, uh, okay, yeah, what, what were did. your thoughts getting through the day?
2: I, I thought the run defense was really, really good. Um, the Cowboys ran the ball a lot simply because of the score, but they didn't necessarily run it well. Um, I believe the backs ended up with, I don't know, a uh, maybe 38, 39 carries, but for only what? Not not very many yards.
1: The only only number I went and looked was on the stretch run plays with DeMarco Murray. uh, He averaged 2.6 yards per carry on the stretch run. So they ran a lot, but
2: not well. No. And, you know, it's funny. It's very easy to rip Bradley Fletcher, and we all know that he's been under siege from a lot of different places. But – it's funny how games work out because the Eagles had a lot of snaps in which they doubled Bryant, they doubled Witten, and they did a real good job. And then on a few man coverage snaps, they got burnt. And they you know, by the way, they played man coverage on Thanksgiving night as yeah, well, by the no way. Question. And and Carrie Williams and Bradley Fletcher played well, but it's funny how this league works. Two weeks later. Bradley Fletcher in particular got burned a few times, and all of a sudden, everybody wants him out of town. No one said how good, you know, how well he played after the Thanksgiving
1: night game. No, you're exactly right. It's like it's almost like an offensive line in that position where, right. if you're not getting beat, then you're not you're not getting talked about. And uh, you know, obviously, like you said, those guys. I actually talked about in my piece last week. Carrie Williams, Bradley Fletcher, and Nolan Carroll actually manned up, Des Bryant one on one in situations on thir- uh, on Thanksgiving. And made plays and, and made against plays. Des Bryant, and, you know, the, those plays just didn't happen on uh, Sunday no, night.
2: No, and this team's played man all year, and at times they've played it really well. At other times, like Green excuse me, Green Bay and a couple of plays the other night, uh, obviously it, it didn't go very well. But this is what the team has done all year, and that's, I'm sure, what Bill Davis will continue to do.
1: Yeah, no question about it. Uh Moving on to Washington, really the big story here is obviously the quarterback. RG3 was able to get into the game through the injury to Colt McCoy and played you know, 99% of the snaps there uh, you know against the New York Giants. What were your thoughts after watching RG3?
2: Well, first of all, he was benched a number of weeks ago, yep. and he was benched because he pretty much locked up mentally. He couldn't run the offense. W- he was non-functioning as an NFL starting quarterback. And you know how it is, Fran. Coaches work and work and work. They spent 20 hours in the building sometimes, maybe 24, yep. uh, and they put together game plans. And when you get what you want in the pass game, you know when you call the right route concepts against coverages you anticipate and it's there, those are the throws the quarterback has to make.
1: Non-functioning is usually a, a, a negative term when you're talking about the, uh, the quarterback Correct. Position, so. And
2: RG3 was not hitting those throws, not even throwing some of those. Right. So he got back in this week and he played better. He functioned within the offense. Jay Gruden did a really good job designing things specifically for him, uh, a lot of play action, boot action, defined reads, e- what we uh, often what we call either-or reads where you look here, you look there. If it's not there, maybe you run. Um, so he got him functioning at a higher level. There's still a lot of issues. He's still not a comfortable player in the pocket. The longer he's in the pocket, the less effective he is. Uh, I think he's a he's a player you can blitz, and they now have an issue. I don't know what Trent Williams' status is. He came out of that game in the third quarter, and their O-line at tackle in particular, Th- there's some real issues there.
1: Yeah, Morgan Moses was their backup, the rookie 2nd He didn't come pick. in in this game. Well, he's been out. He's been on IR. Yeah,
2: they so. moved Tom Compton from right tackle to left tackle and brought back Poulombis, in Tyler Columbus. was a bad and, in the And there. that's a little problematic yeah. going against this Eagles defense.
1: Yeah, no question about it. Uh, the run game, Alfred Morris, the stretch run game. Obviously, another team that uh, likes to employ that scheme uh, has been up and down lately. After kind of being the, uh, the really the the jump start of that offense for in the last couple yeah. of years, it's been kind of up and down in terms of production for the last couple of years. It's
2: been an odd year because there are some games where it looks like the offense runs through Morris, and there are other games where it it seems like he's an afterthought. I think if I rem- if I'm not mistaken, friend, I think last year he had the second most carries per game after Adrian Peterson.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's correct. And
2: this year he wouldn't even be close to the league leaders in in carries per game. So it's been a very erratic offense. Some of it's a function of the fact that their defense hasn't been very good and they've gotten behind in games. But Morris has not been uh, the sort of the bell cow, the, the foundation of this offense the way he was the, his first two years in the league.
1: Yeah, no question about it. And then going over to their defensive side, uh, look, they have had their share of issues. Injuries obviously play a part. But even the guys that have been in there from the beginning, there have been a lot of blown coverages. I can think of the game against Indianapolis a couple weeks ago where you yep. were playing basic cover three, basic two-man. And, I, and, and
2: which, uh, which safety blew it on the Moncrief touchdown? Don't I'm don't trying know. to remember.
1: Was it? Cl- I don't know if it was Clark or if Clark was the other one. There's, but it, you know the play I'm talking yes, about. Yes, I know. Yeah. They were
2: playing. I believe uh, it was. E- was it two man or cover two? It was. But two, I think it was two man. On that yeah. One. But the deep safety just made a bad mistake. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: and, and there was one where uh, David Emerson just you know just kind of peeled right. off. There, there's lots of different examples of of the, uh, the guys on the back end just blowing you know basic high school coverages. Yep. I mean, cover three, cover two, quarters. Uh, you name it, so that they've had their shares in the back, And they end. can't rush
2: the quarterback. No. I mean, Kerrigan's a real nice player. Yep. I le- really like Ryan Kerrigan, and he can sack the quarterback at times, but you wouldn't call him a true pure pass rusher. And since Iraq pulling out, whatever week that was, it was early, they've had to play the rookie Troy Murphy from Stanford as the other outside backer and as the edge rusher when they go to their nickel-and-dime packages. Right. And he's not really a, a pass rusher. No, we talked about that all yeah. spring. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Looking,
1: at, looking at Kerrigan's stat line, he's got uh, 12 and a half sacks, 56 tackles, 18 TFLs, 16 quarterback No, carries. he's a very good player. Very, very good. He's
2: just not one of those dynamic edge rushers, right. but he can get to the quarterback.
1: Yeah, no, no, no question about it. Uh, they've got a couple of athletic inside linebackers, Perry Riley, Keenan Robinson yep. guys that they kind of employ in, uh, in different ways. What have you seen from those two guys?
2: I really like the year Keenan Robinson had. He's one of those fast-flow, sideline-to-sideline, rangy guys, and I think he's only going to get better. I think this is his first full year starting, and uh, I think he's going to be a good player.
1: Well, shifting back to their offense, uh, their head coach Jay Gruden came out today and made some com- some additional comments about RG three. Uh, I don't know. If were you able to catch those comments? I mean, obviously, it's another week where he's their guy right now. It's a, you know, I think he said last week it's it's Robert's team. Um, you know, what what do you make of these comments? I mean, it, it's really interesting to see a head coach talk about his quarterback right. that way. Well,
2: look, RG three. They traded a lot to get him. He's in his third year. He still has a lot of talent. He can throw the ball very, very well. Obviously, they want him to be the quarterback. Now, in some ways, he's got a two-game audition right now. Uh, And again, I don't know what they're going to do after the season, but he played better last week. Uh, They want to see improvement within the framework of an offense. See, ultimately, what the NFL is when you talk about the quarterback and offense is its structure. Is it nice to be able to make some plays outside of structure? Sure it is. But if you can't operate effectively over time on a consistent basis within the structure of an offense, the framework of an offense, you can't play quarterback in this league. And they need to see if RG3 can operate this offense within the structure of the offense. And he really will have two weeks now, to, assuming Jay Gruden's back and, who's to think otherwise at this point. He will have two weeks to see if he shows enough where Jay Gruden goes into the offseason believing that, hey, we're okay at quarterback with another offseason for RG3. He's our guy.
1: I got to think that the the debate that they're having and the debate that I'm sure other teams are having as well with quarterbacks like RG3 is very, very interesting because you see when Colt McCoy and when Kirk Cousins was in there Uh, all the different concepts that you know whether it's double slant or whether it's spacing or snag or all all these you know basic three and five step concepts that are prevalent throughout west coast offense drop back passing games uh, around football and then the changes a little bit obviously when RG3 is in there there's you know more zone read elements there's more boot action there's you know more uh, defined reads in terms of you know whether it's post dig and post cross and uh, you know some of these different flood routes where it's Okay, one read, you got to read this one guy and then you're getting rid of the football Uh, and obviously the stuff getting him outside the pocket. At what point do they think, Okay, either we're going to make try and make him fit into what we're doing and turn him into a better passer or are we just going to try and get by and just keep it's almost like enabling. That's the big
2: NFL question right now for a select group of quarterbacks and arguably for other quarterbacks who will come into the league like Marcus Mariota. Uh, It's the question with RG3. It's the question as a Johnny Manziel keeps playing. The question being, do you allow a quarterback essentially to play to his creativity and the random elements of his game, knowing that he'll make a few of those plays? Maybe one week he'll make two, maybe one week he'll make six, maybe one week he won't make any because they're random. And going along with that, you live with the fact that he'll miss some other things because built into leaving the pocket early, moving around, is the fact that you leave some plays on the field. So do you live with all that? Or do you really try to make these guys more structured players, knowing that you might take away a few of the spontaneous plays, which, again, are still random? Because if you don't try to make a guy a pocket player what eventually happens is they leave so much on the field, they never get to, th- to the point where they're refined. They n- when it's third and nine or, or they need to make plays from the pocket, they can't quite make enough of them because they never develop the skill set. They never advance to the subtleties of the position. So it's, it's the most, to me, intriguing question as you go forward with the movement, the so-called movement dual-threat quarterbacks. I have my point of view. I could well be wrong. There's no definitive answer as we speak this week, Fran. Right. But it's something that people in the league will have to look at. I mean, you look at a Colin Kaepernick seemingly regressing. You look at a Cam Newton who's kind of a week-to-week player. We don't know what he is in any given week. Russell Wilson, he's the clearly the best of the group. Uh, also help by having an historic defense and a really good run game, of which no doubt he's a part. Right. That's the other thing that those guys give you. They, they enhance the run game. Um, we'll see about a Johnny Manziel. He's another guy who's going to get t- two more starts as the season plays out, as will our G3.
1: When you've seen – because I know you watch Carolina every week. You watch San Francisco every week. Uh, and you've watched them, obviously, yep. throughout their career. When you see those two guys – we'll start with Kaepernick – has there been? I mean, we played the 49ers early in the year, and I, you know, they've obviously played a lot of games since then. Right. In this year, compared to other years, have they have their offenses looked different in terms of the different uh, plays and the way that they play the game? Obviously, I know in San Francisco it was much more of a a run oriented right. offense in the past, but in terms of the passing concepts, was it are they still the same, or is it that he is they're trying to get him to do more stuff within the pocket, and he's just not able to take that step?
2: I think they've tried to move in that direction, and he's missed. Right now, he's, he's almost where RG3 was. He's locked up mentally. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's just not understanding, or I shouldn't say, he probably understands it if you put him at the board. It's not registering within the game basic concepts against. Ba- this week, for instance, they had a classic double seam route, vertical seam route against single high
1: great call can't cover both
2: you can't cover both yep. okay and and you know as a quarterback what you do it, you know you have it you take the snap you look one way to get the safety to move that way and you throw it to the other seam I mean that's basic stuff he was so locked up he didn't even plan his ba- He had his back foot and he just took off and he got sacked for a you know, two-yard loss he, he didn't it didn't register and the, and we're talking simple stuff so he's locked up um, but I think they've tried to to get him to play better, and I'm sure a lot of people believe that, hey, just let him run around. He's really athletic. And they've tried to do that at times as well. But I don't know. I think you have to, at some point in this league, and I think you probably agree, you're going to have to make throws. So you have to teach a guy how to play the position from the pocket. We could have a three-hour seminar on that. We won't do that now. But at some point you're going to have to make those throws.
1: Yeah, it, it's going to be – I'm anxious to see how it goes. And you, and you brought him up. Johnny Manziel, obviously they only played you – know, I think they ran 38 plays Right. the final number. Uh, I haven't watched the tape yet. I haven't gotten a chance to. I hope to later in the week. Uh, what was your thoughts when you yeah. watched him?
2: He's a little different, and I'll tell you why. Because one thing we talk a lot about, and you know this because we spent so much time analyzing the draft yep. and players, players uh, coming into the draft, you start with – what you call foundational traits. I mean, if you see a guy who can make throws from the pocket and, you know, he's accurate and he's throwing it to the right guy, you kind of say, that doesn't automatically mean he'll be a great NFL quarterback, but you kind of say, hey, I've got some foundational traits to work with here, right? right. That's, That's kind of the way is. we do it. Yep. Johnny Manziel, you struggle a bit because he's, he's an outlier. And outliers are always tough because he's small, he doesn't have a real good arm, or or the way I should probably say it best is he doesn't play as if he has a good arm. You know, I think he probably has a better arm than the way he plays, but he plays so off balance and so frenetically that he doesn't play to his arm. So he plays as if he has an average arm. That makes sense. Okay. And I think the other thing with him right now is he has almost no pocket feel or discipline because he's never really played that way. So, again, you could say that's not his fault, but that's what right now, as you look at his foundational traits, you say, too small, average arm, no pocket feel. So the question becomes, how do you then teach that? Are you you going to say, because he's Johnny Manziel, that no problem, he's going to make off-script plays, and that's totally fine and we will be good to go? Or do you say, wait a second, we have to kind of teach this guy how to play. Maybe we'll sacrifice a few off-script plays, but— we have to teach this guy how to play quarterback,
1: and that and that's the thing that I, I got to think that this uh, that this debate is going on in places because it's okay either either we're gonna try and win with him right now and build his confidence, whatever the reasoning is. Right. but we're gonna run these kind of plays that will, uh, you know, that will give us immediate success and obviously some and make him that, comfortable. And, the and, idea and, right. is to make
2: him comfortable, so you you do what he is most comfortable with, which is have him run around, right? Whether it's boot action, whether you encourage him to run from the pocket, is but ultimately, is that helping him become a better player?
1: Right, and then it's you know obviously some you know and some will say, hey, that's great coaching because you're you know you're putting him in a position right. to succeed. But for the long term, where does that leave you? And right. it's a matter of okay, at what point do we want to try and get him along so that we can win long term with him? It's, right, it's going to be very intru- interesting. That's why I said
2: thing. that's sort of the question of our time with quarterbacks, and. I don't know if there's a large enough sample size necessarily to say there's a definitive answer. I think it's not trending in the right way as we sit here right now. As far as the movement, guys, I think there's a sense, and I've read some articles, you know, by a number of people who I think are reasonable, smart people who I have great respect for, like the Bill Polians of the world, who believe, hey, the game's going back to being a pocket game. And I, I don't personally disagree with that I think you have to be able to play from the pocket in this league
1: yeah I I, I would agree it's going to be like you said it's going to be one of the debates of uh, of our time right now the the era of NFL football that we're in uh, transitioning a bit football uh, college football bowl season starts this coming weekend. up coming up it's it starts this we had a big weekend a, a few games this week I'll get to I've got ESPN college football analyst uh, Kevin Weidel is joining me later on and I it, Kevin was great so uh, you guys will be able to enjoy that interview in a bit but before we get to that, I wanted to ask you about a couple of things. There's a kid that just declared for the draft, uh, repor- or is reportedly going to declare for the draft. Uh, redshirt sophomore safety, Gerard J- Holloman, who won the uh, won the Thorpe Award this year. He led the led the nation 14 interceptions. Where's he from? Louisville. Okay. And so, you know, so I did some watching. I watched this kid well, a little bit. Well, and he didn't bit. start last year. No, he didn't start last Because they had two year.
2: other safeties. I remember right. they had, obviously, Calvin Pryor, and they had the Smith kid, as I recall.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, Hmm, Began with the H. Yeah, so yeah. Not Harrison Smith. There was another. Either Akeem Smith. Akeem, right, right, right. But uh no. So he didn't. This was his first year as a starter. He had 14 interceptions. So you know you want to see what this kid's about. Fluid mover. You know moves pretty well. Obviously had a ton of production on the ball. But you watch him against the run. You watch him running the alley. A lot of bad angles. Doesn't show the ability to tackle consistently and get his man to the ground. How? What is the the scale? What's the sliding scale there with safeties? Because we've seen a number of them over the course of the last couple of years. The one that I can think of right off the top of my head, and I didn't even think about it till just now, uh, the kid Phillip Thomas from uh, a couple of years ago, Fresno State, who, who by the
2: way is is playing an awful lot of snaps for Washington now. Who, he,
1: he got? He, I'm believe, pretty sure he got cut after the after the preseason, and then he got signed back after right. injuries. Right,
2: and, and he was. A fairly high pick, was I he, he was a, I think
1: he was a fourth or fifth-round yeah. pick. Yeah, I remember
2: watching him in college. Right. He was at Fresno State, and it yeah. was kind
1: of the same deal. He, I think he had uh, 12 picks his yeah, senior year. Yeah, he did. But it was a little, you know, there he's were questions. He's a big kid, too. Yeah, there, and there yeah. were questions about him running the alley. There were right. questions about him you know, tackling and his toughness and things well, like
2: that. Well, with safeties, I find so much is how they're used. Yeah. Because there's certain guys you look at right away, and you say to yourself, there's no way he's going to be a single high safety. He can't do that. The skill set doesn't allow that. But, and then there's other guys you look at and you say, boy, they're going to have a tough time playing in the box. They're just either they're not physical they, or they don't seem to want to tackle very well. I mean, I think as, as good an example as, as you could come up with is Deion Buchanan. Right. Okay. He was a first-round pick by Arizona, and essentially he just plays in their dime sub package, and he basically plays that hybrid safety linebacker position in the box. And he plays the run like a linebacker. Uh, He's played man-to-man, but you wouldn't say at this point that's his strength. But they they understood, I think, what he was coming out and how best to use him, particularly early in his career. And I think that's the case with a lot of safeties. You have to really discern what their skill set is and understand what they are because a lot of those guys, if you put them in positions um, like deep safety if they can't play it, they get exposed really fast in this league because in this league, guys find the safeties that either can't run well, can't cover man-to-man, and that's a big issue for safeties now. So you, I think safety is, is a position as much as any where you have to have a sense of how that player will be deployed in the NFL.
1: While we're on the discussion of safeties, uh, I haven't we haven't talked about this guy, but Kenny Vaccaro, uh, yeah. I know he, you know, obviously had a huge year last year before. I believe he broke his leg right before the playoffs started. Um, so and he missed the game benched. against the Eagles, and he got benched this year. What 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 happened? I mean, I, last year I was – I know we both were really <laughs> with I, My play. sense
2: is, you know – and again, when you watch tape, you don't know the assignment of every player. You can kind of sometimes, fig, you know, figure it out based on your understanding of defense and right. how guys fit. But my sense is that he played with a real lack of discipline and – it, we talked about quarterbacks before, not running the offense, the offense non-functioning. Yep. When when a defensive player plays with a lack of discipline, it only takes one on defense, and the whole defense can look really bad. And that's my sense with Kenny Vaccaro.
1: Very interesting, and it's a, it's a shame because, you know, he's got a ton, a of ton talent, of talent, ton of talent.
2: Yeah, maybe it's a wake up call.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'll see. Well, Greg, uh, well, let me ask you this: bowl games this week? Well actually who's playing this week you we know yeah we've got some, there's some interesting ones you got uh Utah Colorado State so that you'll get a chance to see uh Garrett Grayson going up against Utah there's, oh, some okay. there's some interesting uh defensive guys on that team too it's not a bad defense no all, you know so. i take a look at that game although we will uh we will be here in the studio because when that game's on I bet I believe so oh yes, so never mind you all right I guess that. I'll have, have to watch you'll the have Eagles to wait game. a couple months yeah um but now there's that game uh who else plays there's a few other games on Saturday um I'm trying to think of the anything one anything Friday night no, nothing Friday uh, night. You got you got Saturday. I think there's a game or two Monday, and then another game or okay. two Tuesday. So, yeah, it's uh bowl bowl season. Bowl is upon season. Us. That's right. There's only 37 of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. All right, well, Greg, appreciate it once again for joining me, t- taking the time out of a busy Tuesday night. Uh, that'll be, let's see, week 16. We got one more down for the regular. I season. I hope we have more than one. For oh, outside. Right, so I mean, one more for the regular season. Yeah. But uh, that'll, that'll do it for our, our sit-down here with Greg Cosell. I told you I caught up earlier with Kevin Weidel from ESPN. Let's get to that interview. Joining us now on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, ESPN college football and NFL draft analyst Kevin Weidel. You can follow him on Twitter at KevinW underscore ESPN. Kevin, welcome to the show. How's it going? How are you doing today, friend? Uh, doing great, man. We're uh, a few weeks out here from the Shrine game, and the NFL-PA game, the Senior Bowls in a few weeks. It's uh, you know, exi- exciting time of year.
0: You wait for the college football season all year long, and then it just, like a blink of an eye, it's gone, man. It's unbelievable.
1: Everyone loves Army, Navy, but when I woke up on Saturday morning, there was definitely a void that can only be filled by South Alabama and Louisiana Lafayette <laughs> and all the other teams that are playing on uh, on Saturday. <laughs>
0: But, um, it's a little depressing. It's, it's a little depressing, but hey, at least you got football, on,
1: huh? Yeah, no question about it. Well, football, bowl, you know, college football bowl season is upon us. The first games start this Saturday, and while there aren't a ton of big name teams playing, there are quite a few intriguing prospects. You know, particularly the quarterback position. Uh, the first one I asked you, about, the first guy I wanted to ask you about, South Alabama quarterback Brandon Bridge is taking up residence down there, at Lad Peeble Stadium in Mobile, where we'll be in a few weeks for the Senior Bowl. Big kid, transferred from Alcorn State, athletic, has a strong arm. That, you know, with one, Definitely one of these toolsy-type prospects that people could fall in love with. What have you seen from Bridge so far this fall?
0: You know, you watch him, and we, there's so much left to go in this process. And we've done a lot of the bigger guys. and we got to get into these more small school, like smaller school guys. we got some more to study on him. But, you know, just from the eyeball test, I think he get the nail on the head to the tools. I mean, the guy's got size. He's got athleticism. You know you've got a big-time arm, and and you see flashes of it. Just the inconsistencies, I think, with the lower body mechanics, I think the overall accuracy from short to intermediate, especially deeper parts of the field, can really hone that and become more consistent in that area. So, to me, you're looking at a guy, like you said, I think he's a developmental type prospect late round, I would say, right now until I get to study him a little bit more. But you have a guy that you you have a a nice mold of clay here that – a pile of clay here that you can mold maybe into a nice prospect. So he certainly has got some intriguing skills, obviously very raw and, and needs a lot of uh, you know, coaching and training at this point, but certainly going to garner some attention from scouts.
1: Well, fans will get another look at Bridge at the NFLPA All-Star Game. That'll be broadcast on ESPN2, if I'm not mistaken, to a national audience. Definitely a player worth checking out. The next guy I wanted to ask you about, he'll be down at the East-West Shrine game down in St. Petersburg in a few weeks. That's Nevada's Cody Fajardo. They play Louisiana Lafayette in the New Orleans Bowl on Saturday. Fajardo's another one of these movement guys, has some athleticism. What have you seen from him throughout his career?
0: Well, you know, you talk about it, the dual threat capabilities. This is a guy that, uh, you know, obviously needs some refining as a passer, but he's got that athleticism to get on the perimeter, put some stress on a defense with his feet, with his legs, and and, uh, and as well as throwing down the field, keeping his eyes downfield, extending plays, and creating that big play down the field. You know, the one thing you you want to see a little bit more from is a little bit more poise, patience in the pocket, I think – for any quarterback to succeed at the next level, the biggest issue is can he function from the pocket? I think, to me, that's the baseline you have to have for a quarterback to, to sustain success at the next level. It's going to be interesting to see his type of development. Scott's going to get a good look at him down in Tampa, and uh, you know we'll be interested to see how he turns out. And I can't wait to get on to his coach's tape. I, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of TV. I haven't watched a ton of him on coach's tape yet. So I'm interested He's a intriguing guy I want to
1: watch. Well, you brought up the ability to play within the pocket, and that's something that I think Garrett Grayson from Colorado State brings, that not too many of these other guys in this quarterback class bring to the table. Grayson, Colorado State, they play Utah. That's Saturday's headliner this week, the Las Vegas Bowl. He confirmed this week that he'll be down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl in January. What have you seen from Grayson? And if so, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, you, know, you see a guy that, that is comfortable in the pocket, I think. And this isn't a very deep quarterback class. You look at the top. I think you got two guys on Winston Mariota, if they both elect to come out, that are pretty strong. But then you look at the depth, and there's just not a ton this year compared to other years uh, in terms of depth. But Grayson's one of those intriguing guys that he is that pocket-type passer so that feels comfortable, can function, you know, sees the field, can, can get through progression-style reads, anticipate, and throw in the tight window. It's going to have a great platform down there in Mobile to really make a, a mark. I think a lot of people, I haven't watched a ton of them because he's out of Colorado State. But I think he could come out there and really, you know, create some buzz for himself, putting together a strong week of Mobile. I'm excited to watch him.
1: Well, on the other sideline in that game, the Las Vegas bowl, there are a couple of other senior bowl invites from the Utes. Up front, you've got defensive end Nate Orchard, one of those high motor pass rushers, has been really productive this year. In the secondary, you've got cornerback Eric Rowe, another one of these big cover guys that can run a little bit. What have you seen from these two guys? Let's start with Orchard up front.
0: Uh, you look at Orchard, you know, at, at right around 6'3, 255 pounds, you know, not, not the biggest guy. You like the motor. I think he's going to be a Sam linebacker, a 34 outside linebacker. I don't think he's big enough to be a, a, a you know, three down defense bend. You want to put him in nickel packages. He's shown, you know, he's shown quick first step. You know, he's got the ability to get off this. I just wonder about the ability to consistently bend the edge, uh, the torso flexibility there. I think he stalls out sometimes, speed the power. But no question about it, he's been disruptive Anytime you get a guy with that type of motor. And I think he's got that athleticism to hold up if he does transition to 34 outside linebacker. Spot, drop, hold up in space. He's an intriguing guy. I think right now you're looking in that fourth, fifth-round range early on. Got to get into his tape from this year. But what I saw in the preseason, I think, coming from last year's spring, I gave him a fifth-round grade. I'm interested to see how much he's improved. I know the production stepped up. I want to get into the tape and see if the type of the player and the skill set has made that step as well.
1: I think you nailed the the or you hit the nail on the head there with Orchard. It'll be really interesting to see what position he ends up playing at the next level because you know people forget a guy like even like Teddy Bruski when he was at Arizona State he played defensive end he ended up being a Mike linebacker inside. Not that I think that Orchard could make that transition as inside linebacker, but it, he's one of those guys where, you know that body type you wonder what exactly his fit will be at the next level. So I think yeah, we, certainly we a little bit of a whiner. Yeah, no question. Well, it's that time of year we've got underclassmen declarations pouring in. The big name this week, Auburn wide receiver Sammy Coates, a guy I watched in the offseason I really, really liked just because of his physical ability. Had some issues with drops this year. But what do you think this kid's ceiling is? You
0: know, anytime you get a guy with that type of size and speed that can stretch the field, he's an exciting playmaker. And in this league anymore, you watch the receivers, especially the top guys you see play and play out. They're bigger, more explosive receivers that can get down the field and win in contested situations. Now, Sammy Coates has a lot to improve. He's got to improve as a route runner. He needs a ton of polish in terms of detail, setting up defenders within his stem, and you talk about the drops. There's so many focus drops where the ball, you you watch him, and he's wide open. He gets open or separates, and he's five yards beyond the defender and then follows him in the hands, and it just does not able to secure it. So you get frustrated that time sense but then he also provides those big plays so I think anytime you get a guy like Sammy Coates where he needs some polish but he has that big play ability it's a give and take it's what, what do you want you know you're going to get some drops obviously but you're also going to get a lot of big plays from him so he's going to be intriguing to see who takes you know if there's a team that needs a vertical outside threat a guy that can stretch the field you know almost uh, like a Dante stalwart type player I, I think you know Colts will be in that and I'm interested to see I, you know we haven't done a full evaluation on, but I would imagine he's right in that, you know, later day two range, early day three target area right now, with a chance to move up, you know, if you get into his tape and you really like it. We still got to get into it and, and see what he's got on the coach's tape.
1: Well, he's going to have a chance to improve himself. Reports are, and it hasn't been confirmed yet, but reports are that he's going to accept an invitation to the Senior Bowl. He's one of those guys who falls under the new rule that if you graduated early as a redshirt junior, you're able to go, and apparently he's going to graduate this December. So he's all set and could be playing down in Mobile in a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, it'll be exciting when get him. It'll be a nice addition to that. Hopefully, uh, you know, Marcus Mariota will follow. That'd be awesome.
1: No, no question. Well, you brought up Mariota. Obviously, this week uh, won the Heisman on Saturday, went on David Letterman, was featured on a piece by Peter King of MMQB. He's been in the front front storylines all week long. The latest thing that's been coming out, though, is that people aren't quite sure if he will be a week one starter his rookie year. I don't know how much that means for his long-term success, obviously, but what have you seen from Mariota uh, from what you've watched of him so far? You know
0: what? Let's hope he's not a week one starter. I think people expect these guys to come in – and be a a quarterback like an Andrew Luck situation. And, you know, there's so much on social media judging on the play right now in the moment where back in the day quarterbacks had the luxury of sitting and developing. You look at this year's crop, Blake Bortles, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Derek Carr, guys that are playing early on, yes, they're having some success, but they're also having a ton of struggles, you're seeing it. And I don't think any of these guys are ready to start as rookies. So for him, let's hope that he gets in a situation where he can come in and potentially, you know, be able to sit and develop. You know, you see a lot of these quarterbacks; they're able to mature. I think guys being thrown in at such a young age, it's such a big step up from the college level. It's a lot to handle, and there's very few that can handle it right away. That's why it takes some development, some experience getting it at the NFL level. Now, you watch Mariota, and getting back to Mariota, I totally got sidetracked there. He's one thing you like his improvement as a functioning from the pocket as a passer. Is he there completely? No. I think he needs improvement with anticipation. I think he improves deep ball accuracy, Um, speeding up his internal clock. We hold on to the ball too long, which you know affects his ball security. Twenty-seven career fumbles, eleven loss. But then you you look at him. He's shown he's shown improvement in this area. He's shown the ability to get through progressions. I know they play in that spread system, but you see him work one to two to three all the way across the field through his progressions consistently. I think his accuracy has improved, his touch has improved, and he's always got that dual threat capability. I think he's got tremendous instincts when he is improvising. He reminds me a lot of Russell Wilson in that area, where he's got a plan, he's patient, he keeps his eyes downfield, looking for that big play downfield, and he doesn't just scramble to scramble. He'll sit in the pocket first and then he'll use that mobility as a crutch. So I think if a team can get him in there and treat him, you know, tailor to his strength with some zone reads, spread the ball out, manufacture some half-field reads early on, I think he's got a big chance to succeed. But you're going to have to tailor to him. He's not a pro-style quarterback that's going to come in and be able to, to get through, you know, pro-style reads and anticipate these tight windows like a guy maybe like Jameis Winston, who you see on tape, that might be more, you know, NFL-ready at this point. So it's going to be a good debate between the two if they both like to come out. Mariota certainly has that, you know, that makeup that you like. And, uh, he, you know, if used the right way, I think he's a little bit of a cross between Kaepernick and, and Russell Wilson. I think he's got a chance to be a much more polished passer at higher ceiling than Kaepernick as a thrower.
1: Well, it'll be an interesting discussion over the next few months. The last guy I wanted to ask you about, preparing for the interview, Kevin, I went to your Twitter handle again. That's at W underscore ESPN. I just wanted to see who you've been watching lately, ask you about a guy that you've you know done some in-depth work on. The first name I saw you tweeting about him a couple of days ago, Pittsburgh tackle TJ Clemmings. I couldn't agree more with your 140-character assessment. I love this kid's ceiling. What did you see from him? If you could just expand on that.
0: You know, it's so funny, Fred, and, You go back and you watch his tape last year, and it's his first year playing right tackle. And you you don't know anything about him. I knew nothing about him. And I was studying Tom Savage. And, you know, Savage was taking a beating because his offensive line was so poor. And the right tackle, you know, was kind of the running joke. Because he just didn't understand, didn't have any awareness. His technique was awful. And, And we were like, who is 68 so bad, you know? But then... You know, you start hearing some buzz about him in the preseason. I'm like, really? So you go back and watch the tape, and I go watch him play. I watched Pitt play Iowa this year up in Pittsburgh. I want to lie. I walk onto the field, and I see this guy's frame. Unbelievable. 6'5", 315 pounds, 34-inch arms. He is athletic. He carries his weight well. He's not fat. He's got all the raw tools that you, you, you love to see. I think he's got the highest ceiling in terms of physical ability of any tackle in this class. You know, he's got inline power. Um, he's got a strong punch. He's got tremendous feet and lateral quickness to recover. Now, you wonder about the awareness and the experience because he's only played one year of high school football. He was a soccer player growing up, played one year of high school football, came to the pit as a defensive tackle. Now he's on his second year at, at, at offensive tackle. But you've seen tremendous improvement from him in terms of awareness. In terms of even patience in his pass, pro from earlier in the year to later in the year, when I go back and watch that Miami tape, one of the best tapes he's put out together all year. You know, he had, he had, he'll he still lunge at times and he'll be off balance, but that's all correctable. And to me, I think T.J. Clemmings, once scouts start to see him and people see his physical ability and really get into his tape, he's a guy that I think is going to rise up a lot of boards and has a chance to go in that, you know, I think mid-first-round range, even a little bit before, once people really get a hold and see this guy and see his frame up close, he's got tremendous upside, and he's a guy that I'm very, very intrigued about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. The, the, the big thing that stood out to me was that, that initial quickness off the snap with him was just it, – it really jumps off the film. No, there's no question about it. Uh, Kevin, that was just phenomenal stuff. I really appreciate you taking the time. Join us this week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast here on FollowEagles.com. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Hopefully I'll see you down in Mobile. Hey, you got a friend. All right, that's it. Another week in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks so much to Greg Cosell and ESPN's Kevin Weidel for joining me as we prepare for Saturday night's game against the Washington Redskins. Thanks to all of you listeners out there. We'll see you next week. For my producer, VT, you've been listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast on PhiladelphiaEagles.com.
2: anything that moves,
0: I don't care who it is. Just do Give me everything you got. Play fast. Play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Set. we go! Touchdown!